All right, we're in Revelation chapter, what chapter are we in? 21. How many weeks we've been in it? It seems like forever, doesn't it? I don't think we're going to finish tonight either. Uh, do you remember what verse we stopped at? We did stop at 10. I got that written down. So let's cover a little more of this tonight and go as far as we can. So we're at the New Jerusalem uh, in chapter 21, starting at verse 10. Let me read. You know, I think it would just be best to read through about verse... Hmm. You know what? Why don't I just read through the end of it? And then I, if we don't finish it, that's fine. But we will have read the whole chapter again. So Revelation 21, starting at verse 10. Because John was told to see the angels. And then this is what... Uh, he was told to see the bride of Christ. And then this is what he records starting at verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city... Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of clear crystal jasper. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and the names uh, were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Then the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length and its, is as great as its width. And he measured the city with a rod fifteen hundred miles. Its length and its width and its height and its, are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards, according to the human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the stones, uh, the foundation stones of the city were all adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was a jasper, the second a sapphire, the third a chalcedon, the fourth an emerald, the fifth a sardox, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh Jacob, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pause here and pray. Father in heaven, you take us so far into what we consider the future to think about past the end of this world, past the millennial reign, on into the new heaven and new earth, and here is the new Jerusalem. And you want to communicate something to us from it. And so as we think of these things, Lord, help us understand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To the size of the walls? I think all it needs to communicate to us is that it is huge, huge. 
So the part where it says, um, where is it, where is it? Fifteen hundred miles. That's basically from Vermont to Florida, the entire East Coast. I don't know. It's a little further than that, I think, from here to California, isn't it? More than fifty. It's probably over two thousand miles, three thousand across that way. But the East Coast, if you just did the whole East Coast, about fifteen hundred miles. So it's it's pretty tremendous to it. So we're picking up in verse ten. It's not so much. Um, the space as it is the, the, the face that, that is the most important part. What I mean by that is it's not so much how big it is is important because it's mind-boggling to us. It's, uh, and, that's, and that's by our standards. I mean, we, we're people who know the world is round and space is all these things and planets. But to first century people, to describe something like this, you are describing something that's, that's so big it would boggle the mind. It'd be like us describing the city is as big as from here to, to you know, Pluto. Or something it's just and then it's squared I mean that that's what it just as far as you could imagine or think that's how big this thing is and then keep in mind John was seeing the bride so he sees the bride but the city and the bride are described like the same thing and that's fascinating because if you think about kind of the way that the temple works we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and so there's a sense in which there is a new Jerusalem that's a place but don't separate the place from the people because the spirit of God dwells within us and so that's a big part of it as well now it's described like precious stones and it just goes through all of these beautiful beautiful stones and, and John's trying to describe something with the words of, of earth that is not of this earth you know it's something so different and he's trying to describe that to us the best thing I can maybe compare it to is like if you, if you have wedding pictures or something like that or you have wedding parent pictures of your parents or something like that you know those become just really really important to you uh, not so much because they're just the most beautiful picture in the world but because of what they represent and I think that's what John's trying to do he's, he's giving us a description of something he's saying here's the bride here she is, and she's gorgeous, and, and that's what he's trying to describe to us. Now, the 12 gates, and I love this. You've got 12 gates, and you've got 12 um, foundations. So as we start to look at that, you've got the 12 gates which, um, and the 12 foundations, and they're all connected. The gates themselves have the tribes of Israel, and the foundation has the name of the apostles. That is a picture that links together both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So if you think about it, everything you and I benefit from, everything spiritually, everything that's salvation, everything that's coming to us is based off of a covenant. Because God chose to reach down to human beings and say, I'm going to do something here. And God made a covenant first with Abraham. Everything that Israel ever had, the 12 tribes of Israel, is because God made a covenant with Abraham. God said, I'm going to take you, and from you, I'm going to build a great nation, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That was God's covenant with Abraham before he had the first child, right? That's it. So out of that old covenant, from one of those 12 tribes came Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm going to make a new covenant. And it's going to be so much better than the old covenant. But it doesn't mean the old covenant was bad. It just means it's going to be a change. It grows out of the old covenant. And so there's a new covenant that Jesus established, not based on law, but based on grace. That's the new covenant. 
And so when you get to the New Jerusalem, you got these gates that remind us of the Old Covenant, the 12 tribes of Israel. But the foundations of the city have the apostles' name in it, apostles' names in it. And so that reminds us of the New Covenant. And so everything there is based on these covenants that God made with, that God made with man in every case, which is just... Uh, the foundation for everything for us. I know I said this a couple of weeks ago. I kind of jumped ahead, but I just want to remind you real quick. There's always the church universal. That's all believers from all time and all places. And that has to do with our identity. That's who we are. You and I are part of the church universal. Then there's the church local. And the church lo local has to do with our work. Because even though we're part of the church universal, you're part of the church just like Adam is and Abraham and, you know, every saint you can think of in the Bible. You're part of that. You're also part of a local church, and that's where we actually do our work. That's where we actually serve God in the most practical ways. So that's the second part. And then there's the church of the future, which has to do with our mission. It has to do with our mission. There are people out there, and I pray this and say this sometimes when I'm with you. There are people out there we have not met yet. Like we don't even know them. We, we've not laid eyes on them yet. But God's plan is for them to meet us. The plan is for them to come to know him. And they're going to become part of that church universal and that part of that church local. And they will be with us in eternity forever. So that that's what I'm saying when I talk about our mission. We exist and it's a blessing for us here. But we exist as a local church for people that are not here, for people we haven't met. That's why, like Sunday, we had some people here that had not been here before. And we had some people that had only been here a couple times, you know. That's what we're about. I mean, we, we exist for people like that. They don't know Christ yet. They don't know enough about Jesus. They've not given their life to him. But, but they will. Some of them will. And so that's the church of the future. And that's our mission. So let's go a little bit further with it. The 1,500 miles, you're up in Maine and you make your way down to Florida, that's how big this thing is. Um, if you just wanted to kind of make a giant sphere out of it, the city would be the size of the moon. And that's pretty amazing, you know. And for us, knowing what we know about space and moon and all that, it's just unbelievable, a city of that size. Now, here's what I want to say about the size thing, John, especially. Heaven's going to be bigger than we think. Like, it's going to be bigger. I mean, as much as you can imagine, as much as you can try to wrap your mind around it, heaven's going to be bigger than you think. And let me add this, because this is going to be one of my favorite surprises when we get to heaven. There are going to be people there that you didn't think would get in. <laughs> right? That, that's going to be the surprise. And you know why? It's because we get it messed up sometimes. We, we kind of think... Hey, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm serving him. I go to church. I do all these things. You know, I'm in. Look at that person. There's no way they're getting in. Look at them. And here's the truth. We're all one of them. Everyone. There's not one of us that deserves to get in heaven. Not one. Okay, but we're in and our life's been changed and you and I are going to be shocked to find out that there are some other people in and they got in the same way we did because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's it. So heaven's going to be bigger than we think, and there are going to be more people there than we think. It'll be the Gomer Pyle thing. What did he used to say? Surprise, surprise, surprise. Y'all remember that? Surprise, surprise, surprise. If I tell that to a younger group, they're looking at me like, Gomer Pyle? Have you lost your mind? What is that? Y'all get it. Y'all know. He did say that. He did. That's right. Yeah, I have to be careful with your references sometimes. 
All right, so let's go a little bit further down. The, all the, say in verses 18 through 21, you've got all these different stones. People try to read into that, the colors and all that. I just say, don't worry about that part of it. Don't, don't let the type of stone or the color of the stone take on any specific meaning because there's nowhere else in the Bible that does that. I mean, you've got this idea of gold, but that represents wealth all in the Bible. But then it's transparent, and, and that, that word keeps showing up. You know, the streets are gold, so it's wealth beyond measure, but it's transparent, which is just a way of communicating how light is everywhere. Light is in everything. Light is everywhere, and God is light, and God is love. And so you have that, but, but don't get too caught up in that. Just know that John's trying to trying to communicate to us just the beauty of everything that's there. Now, something that gets more, more specific for us is that there is no temple there. There's no temple because God himself is there. So here's what I'd say about the temple. Before Jesus, the temple was more of a prophecy. Like the temple spoke about something that was going to happen. The temple represented the Messiah who would come. So everything about the temple pointed to Jesus and pointed to his work. So in that sense, from the tabernacle they carried in the wilderness to the temple that was built in Jerusalem, all of that was a prophecy speaking of the actual Christ when he comes. Once Jesus came, we became the temple because he sends back his spirit and his spirit lives within us and we are the body of Christ. And so we are his temple. In heaven, there's, well, we'll say the millennial reign the temple there is a memorial. It is a reminder of where we came from. It's a reminder of how we got here. And when you get to the new heaven and new earth, there is no temple anymore because we are with God. It's like everything has gone full circle. We are exactly where we should be. We are with our maker and we relate to our maker. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I shared this with you. You've got Adam who was perfect. But what's better, perfect man or redeemed man? And the answer is redeemed man. Adam was perfect, and we tend to think of Adam in his perfection as being so much better than us. But the truth is, you have it better than Adam. You're not perfect, but you are redeemed. You, Adam had a, a kind of righteousness that was literally his own. He had never sinned. The righteousness you have is the righteousness of Christ. And it was given to you. So if you want to rank them, redeemed man is better than perfect man. And perfect man didn't last that long, right? But redeemed man lasts forever. So, you know, I just, I never want people to look back and say, oh, I wish we could go back to the Garden of Eden. Look, God's plan was to make it perfect. Man did mess it up by their own choices. And then God redeemed them and brought them back to him. So the full circle is we are redeemed people relating to our God because now it's not God comes to us. It's now God is in us, the Holy Spirit in us. It's just uh, that's the full circle. So let's go a little bit further. In verses 24 to 27, because I got enough time to do this, there's some access to the city. So it mentions uh, gates. Uh, it mentions the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. All of those kinds of things. And that speaks to who's going to be there. And, you know, this is, this is what happens for us today. People say, well, God is love and God loves everybody. And that is true. God is love and God does love everybody. But he still made one way to himself. And Jesus said it specifically. 
Um, I might have told you all this story. When I was growing up, there was this guy named Jimmy who was uh, a friend of our family. That's the best way I know to say it. But Jimmy, Jimmy had all kind of problems, you know, like he drank, he smoked, he cussed, he just, he was violent. I mean, he was just a bad dude. And I don't know why uh, my mom or dad ever hung around with him other than he was, I don't know. I think they all grew up in school together or something. But Jimmy was just, he was, I would just describe him as a mean, nasty man. All right, so I'm driving down the road one day. I'm 16 years old. I see Jimmy walking down the road. I got to pick him up. I don't pick up hitchhikers, but I pick up Jimmy because I didn't know him. So I pick him up and he gets in the car and he looks over in the middle of the seat between he and I. And I got a Bible there because I, I carried a Bible with me everywhere, you know, back, back then. I still do. If you, go, if you find my car and I'm in it, there's a Bible in it. I'm still that way. But Jimmy sees this Bible laying there and he says to 16-year-old me, he was like, you know my favorite verse in the Bible? I'm like, I didn't even know you knew that was a Bible, Jimmy. <laughs> you know my favorite verse in the Bible? I'm like, what's your favorite verse? John 14, 6. What's it say? He put me on the spot. Like, can you quote John 14, 6? I couldn't quote John 14, 6. I was driving. I just picked him up. I was like, get out of my car. <laughs> put me on the spot like that. Anybody know John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jimmy put me on the spot, reminded me of that verse. I never forgot it. He did me a favor, right? He did me a favor. And I don't know who taught Jimmy that, and I don't know if he ever believed it. He may be one of those surprises when I get to heaven. Now, if he's not there, I won't be shocked, okay? If Jimmy's not there, I'm not going to be shocked. If he is there, I'm going to go, man, God is just so good because you're here. <laughs> that's what it's going to be like. That's, that's the way I knew Jimmy. He, he died years ago, and... Um, but I'll never forget John 14, 6 because of him. Okay? So I tell you that story and I re relate it to the gates of the city, New Jerusalem. It is still for members only. Yes, God loves every person in his creation. He does. But if you're going to be in his kingdom, if you're going to be his bride, if you're going to be in the New Jerusalem, if you're going to have any of that kind of future, it is because you know Jesus Christ. He is it. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So it's exclusive. There's a members only side of that. Let me give you four of these. That's the first one, members only. Number two, when you read this chapter, we're supposed to live like who we are. You know, we're supposed to live like who we are and where we belong. So it, it affects what you do now because of who you are and where you go. All right, I'm going to just tell you all this straight out, okay? Who likes being told what to do? Nobody. Nobody, right? You don't want anybody coming to your house and telling you what to do, right? You don't do your dishes right. You don't do your floor right. You don't clean up right. You don't dress right. Your hair looks funny. I mean, no one wants to be told what to do, right? When it comes to spiritual things, it works the same way. Here I am as the pastor of a church. It is part of my role to stand up and speak to people. Some of those people know me and love me like y'all. You show up every week. Sometimes on Sunday there are people, they, they don't know me at all. They've only met me once or twice. They don't know anything about me. But if I stand up and just tell them what to do, they're like, why do I go here? I, I'll never come back. They don't want to know. But I'll tell you what changes everything. And this is something I, they told me years ago, and it just stuck because it's true. You don't tell people what to do, you tell them who they are. That's the difference. You don't go around just telling people what to do, do this, don't do that. Tell people who they are. And when it comes to Christianity and faith and ministry, that's the game changer. Because when a person 
starts to believe what you tell them about who they are, the other things start to change. That's the difference. The behavior will start to match who they are. Nobody's perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all still going to come up short. But once you start to understand who you are in Christ, once you, you start to understand who you belong to, how he made you, what you are as a person in this world because of Christ, once you start to know that, you start to act like it. And if you don't know who you are, everything's up in the air. And everything's optional. So... That's what I would encourage you to do. Because you have two options when you're dealing with people. You can go around and just tell them what to do, or you can remind them of who they are. And if you remind them of who they are, those other things about what they choose to do, those things start to change on their own. Uh, it's very similar. I mean, you know, you've raised kids. You kind of know about this. When a kid's four, you can make them do stuff, right? <laughs> well, you try. You know, four-year-olds are fun. Two-year-old, it's time to go to bed, all right? He may not go to bed, but you can put him in the bed. You can probably make him stay unless he's a real hassle, you know. If it's time to eat, you can make him eat. When baby Jana doesn't want to do stuff, you know, mom puts her in the seat, you know, moves her here or there. I mean, you, you can make them do stuff when they're two. You can't make them do stuff when they're 20, right? You can make a five-year-old do something. You can say, do this, okay? A 15-year-old, whole different story. So your parenting changes. You stop parenting behavior and you start parenting what they want to do. And, and that's what the Bible is showing us. You know, the Old Testament law said, do this, don't do that. And if you break the law, you're guilty. The new covenant, Jesus doesn't go around and say, do this, don't do that. He says, I love you. You belong to me. He tells us who we are. And all of a sudden, everything changes. So what I'm trying to tell you is, you know, the little things that we talk about with parenting that work, that pattern's in the Bible. And it's all through the Bible. He tells us who we are. So live like who you are and who you belong to. Number three, uh, let go of what remains here. When I read this chapter, this is what it does for me right now at this stage in my life more than anything else. It reminds me to let go of the stuff that's just here, that's just in this world. It's important stuff, but it really doesn't matter, right? And, and to be able to hold on to stuff and not let it hold on to you, that's what we're talking about. And when you think about where you're going and what you're going to do, and you're going to be part of the New Jerusalem, you're going to be there forever. When you start to think about that, don't get so bent out of shape because your car is not working right. Right? It's just a car. You had one before. You're going to have one later. And eventually, you're not going to need one. You didn't read about cars in chapter 21, right? You don't need a house. You don't need any of that stuff. The money we worry about, don't worry about it. I know it matters now. I know it's important now. I know there's a stewardship thing now. But the truth is, all that's going to pass away. So we hold that. It doesn't hold us. And so we can let go of it to that way. All right, last one. Everything here is a fraction of the glory that it reveals. When I read this chapter, that's, that's what I see. Everything here, everything in this world is just a little, it's like a little mirror and it gives us a little fraction, a little reflection of what's going to be there, of what's ultimately there. So when you see uh, beauty in the world, that is a small fraction of the glory that's behind it. It's one of the things C.S. Lewis tried to do when he tried to talk to us about each other. He said, if you could see what your neighbor or your friend or the person sitting next to you, if you could see what they are going to look like in full glory of the resurrection, you'd probably be tempted to fall down and worship them right now. 
if you could see what they really are. We're, right now, we're still falling. We're all broken. My hair's going gray. My knee hurts. You know, th things don't work. But the resurrected you is going to be something totally different, spectacular. And if you could see that person now, you might be like Peter was when he saw the transfiguration. He saw a glorified Jesus. He saw Moses and he saw Elijah there on the mountain. And what did he want to do? He wanted to build altars there and worship them because he was so blown away with what he saw, the glorified Christ and the other two with him. That's what it'd be like. But everything in this world and whatever you see, whatever beauty, whatever good you see in this world, is just a small fraction of the real glory that's behind it. And that's what we see one day. And that's what we get to do. And that's what we get to be a part of. All right, so it is a tremendous chapter. And when we get to the next chapter, which we'll start at next week, you see the river and the tree of life. There are a few final things that kind of wrap up the book of Revelation. And that's what we're going to start doing next week. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we love you. We thank you for this chapter. It has been tremendous. We've spent, I think, four weeks in it now just looking at these things. And God, there's more here than we could ever dig out. So keep it in our minds. Remind us of these truths. And Lord, help us to live in light of those. I thank you for the people here tonight. Lord, bless them. Bless their families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. Let's see.